Hi, I'm Tim Gillespie, and this is the Crosswalk Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. If you are one of our regular listeners, we are so glad you choose to journey with us, and we pray every single message inspires you and helps you to become the person God intended you to be, and of course, to love well. If you are already a giver, thank you so much. If this is something you have not yet done, I want to invite you to start doing that right now. Go to crosswalkvillage.com give and give a one-time gift, or even beyond that, become a recurring giver here at Crosswalk. And you can do that from wherever you're listening from. What is incredible about Crosswalk is that we have givers who don't live here in Southern California or near any of our other campuses, but support the work of Crosswalk from Southern California to the ends of the earth. Thank you for considering this. And now, listen to the message. My hope is you will allow Jesus to speak to you in a way that will change your life. Uh, if you're new here, my name is Tim Gillespie. I'm the lead pastor here at Crosswalk Church. Thank you for coming. We really appreciate it. It's been a big day, a full day. Not Like 10.30 was standing room only. There's so many of you here today. We're so grateful for um, you coming. And if, if you can believe it, it's week four of this series already. It's only a five-week series, and we're already on week four. It feels like 2024 is moving pretty quickly, doesn't it? Let's all just slow it down. I don't know how we do that, but, um, and, and we've been able to talk about some really great things. We talk about the metaphor of wine and wineskins, new wine, old wine, new wineskins, old wineskins, the vineyard, we talked about that last week. And now we have to ask the question, how do you take that new wine, those new wineskins, how do you stay within the garden, how do you stay attached to the vine? And the first thing I want you to understand it is it begins this way, by an invitation. And I know this is the name of our next series, so yes, I'm foreshadowing a little bit, but... I want you to understand that you have been invited into this relationship with Jesus. And it's a particular kind of relationship. It's a teaching and learning relationship. While it is a relationship we're able to abide together, we are becoming closer to the one who teaches us all things. And this makes sense, and this metaphor makes sense, because education was always very important to the Jewish community when Jesus was born and where Jesus was born. In fact, there were three kind of major sections of Jewish education for Jewish young men. Unfortunately, it wasn't for women at the time, but for Jewish young men. It began with Bet Safar, which was usually from ages 5 to 10. It was a time where they taught in the synagogue um, by a rabbi, and Jewish boys memorized the Torah. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They memorized it all by the time they were 10 years old much like you have, I'm sure, right? We don't even read through the book of Leviticus, let alone memorize it. I mean, come on, that's crazy, right? So from the ages of five to 10, that's pretty much what they did. From about 10 on, they moved into the Bet Talmud um, phase, which is progressing kind of on. It continues from, like I said, about 10 to 14. And during this time, the student would continue to memorize, but this time they would memorize the Psalms, the prophets, and the rest of the Hebrew scriptures. So pretty much the Old Testament. So it wasn't uncommon that by the time you were 14 years old, you didn't just know scripture, you had memorized that much scripture. And during that time, they would learn a way of teaching and learning that was filled with questions and answers. 
we transfer information, right? You go to class, your teacher downloads a bunch of information, you kind of take it in, and then when we test you, what we do is we basically say, now tell me what I told you, and then we kind of vomit it back to the teacher, and the teacher's like, oh, good, you got an A. But Jewish teaching is very different. A rabbi might ask a question, hey, what is two plus two? And a more correct answer would be, what is the square root of 16? We would say four. They would say, what is the square root of 16? Showing the rabbi that they not only understood the question, they could process it, and then they could actually formulate their own question about the same answer. This told the rabbi that the student had heard and understood and was able to process and respond with a question of his own. In fact, this is what we see in Luke 2. Do you remember the story in Luke 2 when Jesus is at Passover with his family in Jerusalem and they leave and they don't know where he is for three days? Actually, that's not true. They didn't realize he was gone for three days? That's not good parenting, just to be clear. But then they go back and what was he doing? He was doing a question and answer period with the rabbis at the temple, right? That's what was going on. So you've got Bet Safar, Bet Talmud, and then you have Bet Midrash. And at 14, the best would come and apply, both orally and written. Um, they, would, they would learn, continue to learn and have been learning the Talmud, the Mishnah, the sages, and years of commentary on Scripture, right? So now that they memorize Scripture, now they're learning all this other stuff. And they realize that each rabbi would have their own interpretation of how to live out the Torah, and these rules that each rabbi had, these interpretations that each rabbi had, was called their yoke. And so, once the best of the boys had been established, they would be quizzed by the rabbis who were interested in perhaps having them as a disciple, taking on their yoke. However, what they would do is they would engage boys in what is called a remezes. And this is where the rabbi would form a question around a portion of scripture, he might quote the first three verses of a scripture, but then the actual question was about the fourth verse. Because the boy had done all the work in the previous phases, he knew the scriptures and he knew it was actually from the fourth verse. So they were trying to trick these boys. It was tricky. It was complicated. And if you passed, you would get an invitation from the rabbi to take up his yoke and become the rabbi's disciple. So when Jesus said that term, by the way, in scripture, it wasn't out of nothing. He was saying it because this is the comment that was often taken. And by the way, being a disciple was a privileged position. If you get into Harvard, you know that you are having a privileged life, right? And people who've gone to Harvard, they know and they tell you all the time. If nothing else, they'll wear a pin that says, I went to Harvard, like all the time, right? But like, let's say Harvard, Claremont, Yale, Stanford, great schools, right? They're institutions that we hail as being great. Following a rabbi was like getting into one of those schools. You would leave everything to follow the rabbi. This leads us actually to the scandal of discipleship when it comes to Jesus, Matthew 4, Matthew 16. Because what Jesus did is Jesus just called some randos to come follow him, right? They were like, hey, just whoever, it was so scandalous because they were not Harvard. They were not Yale. They were not Claremont. They were not Berkeley. They were not Crafton or RCC. I should have used RCC earlier. There's more of you. Interesting. Interesting. They, in fact, they weren't that, they were just fishermen, but Jesus calls them, right? He's like, Hey, take my yoke upon you. In fact, this is what it says in the book of Matthew. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and 
and carry heavy burdens and I will give you rest. This invitation was not even just to simply learn, but to live, to abide, to be, and to remain, to do nothing together but rest and heal and grow. And he says, take my yoke upon you. So he's actually speaking the words of a rabbi here. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle. He's like, listen, my yoke is great and I'm pretty good. You'll find rest for your souls. So he talks about his yoke and he talks about who he was. What is it like to follow Jesus? Seems easy. And we know that it's not necessarily easy to be a disciple because there's other places where people came to Jesus and said, I would like to follow you. And Jesus says, well, that sounds pretty good. And then they're like, but let me go bury my dad. And Jesus is all, oh, no, you, don't, no, you can't do it. You don't have what it takes, right? Other people have come to him and said, I want to be your disciple. And he's like, listen, fox have dens, birds have nests. What do I have? I don't have anything. So it seems that Jesus is saying two different things. He's not. I think it's a question of intention to me. I think what Jesus was saying to those people who would come is like, you're not going to be able to handle this because you can't commit, you can't abide, you can't remain. Because here he says in Matthew eleven thirty, 30, for my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. He wants us to know that there's a simplicity to this. And I wonder why we don't believe Jesus. I mean, do we, do we really believe the words of Jesus? I'm not sure that we do because it feels like we often make religion and faith and following Jesus into something difficult. Jesus says that taking his teaching, his understanding on is not a trick question. It's a way of life. Come and follow. So I want you to understand this. You have been invited to follow the greatest rabbi and his teaching. And his teaching that is understandable. So that's where we should get started. But what has he actually invited us to? Right? Where are we invited well, let's let scripture tell us. And this is a story that you all know. It's not going to be news to you. It's not a portion of scripture that you're not familiar with. You've probably heard this story. Luke 10, verse 38. It says, as Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed, him, welcomed them into her home. Well, see, what was going on is that they probably knew her already somehow. And so that is why they stopped. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he taught. Like I said, this is such a famous verse. I don't know if I'm going to give you any new insight. But Mary just sat down. Has this ever happened to you? You're busying yourself getting ready to do something and somebody in your household is not helping? Those of you with children know what I'm talking about. Children have a way of melting away when you're getting ready for somebody to come over. They just disappear. You're like, where'd my son go? I'm like, oh, he's playing video games in his room very quietly in the dark under the covers. It's not what happens. Sometimes that happens, right? So Martha's doing all the work. Mary just decides that she's going to sit down next to Jesus and listen to what he says. So Martha was distracted by this big dinner she was preparing. So she comes to Jesus, and what does she do? She says, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Why don't you tell her to come and help me? This definitely sounds like a sister conversation is happening, right? She's like, are you seriously going to just let this girl? She's not doing anything. Martha felt the responsibility of not only following Jesus, but taking care of Jesus and wanted to do these things for Jesus. By the way, all of this is a good and great inclination. And she was frustrated by Mary not doing anything. So that's the story. But you know it doesn't end there, right? The Lord says to her, my dear Martha, you are worried and upset over all these details. And I don't know if any of you know Martha's in your life. But I guarantee you when he said that, the thought that went through her head was, yeah, somebody has to. 
Because Mary's not. Right? Somebody's got to, if you're a person who likes to make lists, you're like, somebody's got to do the list. Jesus rebukes her, but not angrily. Rather, it's kind of a course correction, a gentle nudge to remember priorities. And he says, listen, there is only one thing worth being concerned about. And Mary has discovered it. And it will not be taken away from her. I'm not going to tell her to go work for you. Mary knew what the invitation was for. It wasn't just to do things for Jesus, but it was to abide with Jesus. It was to sit at the feet of Jesus and learn from Jesus. So the invitation is first and foremost to be at the feet of Jesus. Now, I don't want you to mix this metaphor with sitting at the feet of the cross. That's when we talk about salvation and what Jesus did through the crucifixion and the resurrection. This is how we live with Jesus. It begins with sitting at the foot of Jesus while he teaches us. And listen, there's going to be many things that we are asked to do. Don't think that we're never going to have any work to do for the kingdom. But it starts with discipleship. And discipleship starts by accepting the invitation and sitting at the feet of Jesus. And it does a few things for us. The first thing it does is that it reminds us of our place. Right? Our place in life. Let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Let's know who we are. Right? Our place as disciples of Jesus is at the feet of him. It reminds us of our position. We're seated, we're waiting, we're expectant. It also reminds us that we can't hurry this time that we have with Jesus. You can't microwave that time. As you get older, you begin to have some realizations, right? Do you remember saying stuff like, oh, she and I have been friends for 10 years. And then you get a little older and you're like, oh, we've been friends for 20 years. And then you get a little older And you're like, we've been friends for 30 years. And you're like, man, that sounds old. Then you turn 50 and you realize you've been friends with people for 40 years. I know there's a bunch of young people here who are like, (laughs) I don't like anybody 40 years long. I understand that. I didn't think I did either. But lo and behold, you turn 50 and you're like, I still like that guy. And it's been 40 years. We're friends. Those are different kind of friendships, by the way. Right? There's friendships where you're like, hey, and you're like, you know, the friendship with a 40, uh, friendships for 40 years old, when you walk in, you don't even have to acknowledge that they exist. Like literally, you're just that comfortable. This is how it is with Jesus. You cannot microwave that intimacy with Jesus. You have to spend the time, right? To get down, to sit at the feet of Jesus means that you don't hurry the interaction. You know, one of the, thi- one of the biggest travesties of COVID, I'm going to get very particular One of the biggest travesties of COVID is a restaurant in Portland called La Hala. It is a Lebanese restaurant and it is absolutely my favorite Lebanese restaurant on the planet. And during COVID, they decided we're going to be like a walk-up stand. So I used to go and sit and have this wonderful Mediterranean meal with wonderful food. It was so good. And the last time I went in there, I walked in and I went to go get a table and they're like, hey, you got to order here. And I was like, what, standing up? Like, is this, is this whole building a food truck all of a sudden? Like, what happened? And they're like, no, that's how we do it now. Because it keeps you coming in and out more quickly. I don't want to eat a falafel standing up unless I'm in Israel. In Portland, I want to eat a falafel sitting down. Right? It was, it was shocking to me. They're trying to microwave my experience of Lahala. It's not great. When it comes to Jesus, you cannot microwave that intimacy. You have to spend the time. And it also reminds us that being in the presence of Jesus is always the priority. 
whether it's worship, prayer, fasting, study, community, all the things that lead us to a closer experience with Jesus. It's not just finding the work to do with Jesus. It is being with him. And by the way, this is particularly hard for those who judge their worth by their accomplishments. And there are those of you in this room that if you don't finish your checklist every day, you don't even think that you woke up. Martha was somebody who had a list and she wanted to get it done. Mary didn't even seem to care. Now, that's not true. That's not really fair. She probably did. But it's clear that she was okay with putting the to-dos on the back burner. And I struggle with this, just for the record. I'm, I can't preach this. And then, I don't know if it was wisdom or not, but we hired a guy who's really into this. John Ciccarelli knows how to abide. Like I get to work early and I do a lot and John comes rolling in like 11 o'clock. <laughs> Super relaxed. And I'm like, hey, John, what'd you do today? And he's like, spent time with Jesus. I'm like, ah, it's 11. And he's like, yeah, man, I just spent time with Jesus. You know, did my podcast. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. He's like, what'd you do? I'm like, oh, I don't know what I did. I mean, I wrote a serious guide. I wrote three sermons, planted a couple churches. Been a good day. And I feel very accomplished. Here's what's funny. Uh, I don't know if you've seen what's going on in the discipleship area of our church. It's exploding, the work that he's doing. He is doing so much work. And he spends time with Jesus. So maybe... The fact that he's spending time with Jesus is allowing him to do all that other work. Hmm. Maybe that's not a bad practice to put in place. Because I got to get to the work. I'm a Martha. I'm all over Martha. Right? And in fact, the pace of my life, it doesn't even allow me to abide sometimes. It's really hard for me. And if you audited your life, I wonder if you would find out if the pace of your life didn't really allow you that time to abide. And I want to speak, I want to speak to the overachievers because we got to ask the question, what happens if you're just not made up that way where abiding is easy? So I want to speak to the overachievers today. Those of you who are running away from something by all the work that you do or running towards something by all the work that you do. Those of you who can't seem to stop, I don't want to shame you because I am you. But the problem is this, if we don't stop, Something will stop us, whether it is our health, it is our relationships, it is the Holy Spirit, or it is just our inability to do it all. Something has to wake us up to realize that we have to sit at the feet of Jesus. Sometimes we have to sit at the feet of Jesus, not just run in his footsteps. And this is important. And there's two sides to this, because don't think that Jesus didn't do work he did. He worked hard. In Luke 5, it mentioned that he was becoming increasingly popular and healing more and more people. Jesus knew how to use the momentum of his ministry, that he was growing. He knew how to do the work. But when the work got too much, he would look at his disciples and say, let's go. We need to go abide together for a little while because this is too much. And this will be here when we get back. When he says something like the poor will always be with us, he's not saying, so don't worry about it. What he's saying is, so we've got time to make sure we're in the right place so we can be most effective in the work that we do. And what we learn from this as well is that since our time with Jesus is limited, we should take advantage of it. 
Because I don't know what takes you to the foot of Jesus. I don't know what it is. But we used to have a member here, and uh, I ta I've talked about him before, Dr. Larry Thomas. He was with Crosswalk for a long time. We lost him a couple years ago during COVID. And man, I, I love Larry, because Larry would show up at our first service ready to hear a sermon, because he knew what put him at the feet of Jesus. What put him at the feet of Jesus was a sermon. That's what he was about. And so he would be here at nine o'clock and he would listen to the sermon. And as soon as the sermon was up, the music would start playing, he was out. It wasn't music for him, it was, it was the sermon. So he'd get up and he'd leave. And I knew he wasn't leaving, he wasn't upset. He was going to another sermon. And he would listen to five or six sermons every single weekend, different pastors in the area. And he'd text me at the end of the day and he'd be like, hey, your sermon was great, but did you hear the sermon by so-and-so? And I'm like, oh, that's, uh, made, me, made me feel bad. Uh, but that's not what he was doing. He was so excited about being in the presence of God through the sermon. So what places you at the feet of Jesus? Is it prayer? Is it worship? Is it, you know, fasting? Is it other things? Like, is it pain that puts you at the feet of Jesus? Is it joy? Is it loss? Is it gain? What is it that constantly brings you back to the foot of Jesus, to the feet of Jesus? Because it's really easy for us to fill our lives with everything else or to think that we've been invited to something other than the abiding that God has called us to, to the work, to the busyness. Even church can get in the way if we're not careful. But what I want you to know is that when the invitation comes and when you recognize it in your life, it first and foremost begins with you taking on his yoke, which means that Jesus has become your rabbi and you are now following his teachings and you learn about those teachings by spending time with Jesus. Discipleship is the first call of a disciple to follow who Jesus is. And I want you, it would be horrible if you walked out of this place not knowing that you have been invited. Because sometimes we miss the invitations. There's this story my friend tells, and I wish it were my story because it's such a good story, but it's, I'm glad it wasn't me because it would have been horrible to have happened to me. He went to a, a small church when he was young. You know those small churches some of you have come from where when you talk about the youth of the church, it was just him. Like they'd go, the youth, and it'd be him sitting over there. And, and this church, what a sweet church. They wanted to do something for the youth of the church. And so what they did is they said, we're going to have a bowling party for the youth of the church, this guy. We're going to have a bowling party. So the board, the board of elders got together and they organized a potluck at a, at a bowling alley. And they brought food for this bowling party that they were going to have for the youth in the church. And it was at seven o'clock and so they're waiting and they can't wait, they get there early, they set up the whole potluck, they're ready to go, it's gonna be such a great night. And, uh, and seven o'clock rolls around, my buddy's not there. So you know, they wait, sometimes teenagers, you know those youth, they can be late sometimes. Um, 7.30 rolls around, it's still not there. They start asking, oh, I wonder where, wonder where he is. And somebody said, you know, did, you, did he say he was gonna come when you invited him? Person said, I, that, I, that wasn't my job. I brought the Cheetos. They were here on time. Said, yeah, well, what about you? No, no, I didn't. I, I got the bowling alley. That's, I rented that. It slowly dawned on them that they forgot 
to invite the youth to the party for the youth. So I want you to know that you've been invited. And if you're wondering what God is inviting you to, he is inviting you to first, foremost, to sit at his feet and he has created a space for you amongst all the other people that he's called to hear him, to listen to him, to learn from him. He has a space specifically for you so that you can learn what it's like to live in the gospel of Jesus Christ, to live as Jesus would have you live. So all these metaphors, old wine, old wine skins, new wine, new wine skins, the vine and the branches, the vineyard, the good gardener. All of that begins to make sense when you realize that it begins with us sitting at the foot of Jesus and learning from Jesus the ways that we're to live, to maintain and be sustained by who Jesus is, the vine, to grow and produce good fruit as we are the branches being sustained by the vine, pruned by the Father in his vineyard. But it all begins by just sitting down and listening. And when you get that anxiety that says, I've got to go and I've got to do, understand this, your doing will be much better for your being. So start with being with Jesus. And then you can have the doing happening afterwards. Just so you know, I say this as much to myself today as I say it to you. Because I, I just want to make things happen. And at the end of the day, Jesus is the one that makes it all happen. So again, know that you're invited. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, Jesus, I just want to thank you. Thank you for inviting us, but thank you even more for creating the space so that we can just sit at your feet. So we can learn from you. We can grow with you. We can find out what it means to have our lives built on you and have you build our lives. And so, Lord, may we not be in so much of a rush to get done what you would have us do. But let us put our full attention in learning from you. Lord, thank you for the invitation. Because for sure, no one is left out of that call. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. Stand and worship with us one more time.